We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. We are at part 18. And today we're dealing with the forgiveness of Jesus. Sometime in 2019 or 20, I taught a very provocative teaching, which is on Podbean. And it was titled, Who Said Forgiveness Was Unconditional? If you haven't listened to it, please. It will help your life. The whole thing is not more than an hour and ten minutes. Who Said Forgiveness Was Unconditional? If you have listened to that teaching, unforgiveness dies forever in your life. You will never, ever struggle with unforgiveness. We're now looking at it as one of the emotions. Because forgiveness is an emotion triggered by a certain information. Does that make sense? In the same way that unforgiveness is an emotion, also triggered by information. What somebody did to you. How that thing made you feel. And how determined you are to ensure that you inflict the maximum damage possible on that person. Or at least feel like for a brief moment, you can try to stop that person from moving forward. <laughs> you know, in that teaching, I made it clear that the frustration of somebody who is offended is in thinking that the person that offended you should not move forward. And then you now start to be angry, not at what they did to you, but at the fact that they are progressing. Why should somebody progress who broke my heart? Why should, they, why should they progress? God should keep them. Judge them. Let the wickedness of the wicked come upon them. He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it. God is not a man. Cannot lie. <laughs> an eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. If we are taking eye for eye, everybody by now will be blind. 200 times over. You don't have enough eyes to pay. Even if you are one of the four living creatures that have eyes all over, very soon you will run out of eyes. <laughs> you run out of eyes. Tooth for tooth. How many do you have? Some of you didn't even have full teeth. You know it's half it, right? How we have, you know, with all the kind of services we have, imagine if we have a tooth remover service. Say you want to practice the law. You want to practice law now. So we ought to have a tooth remover service. How many people have you offended? Cease in the past one month. Before we do the anointing, let's do the teeth remover. Take three. So you will remove somebody's teeth. Six for the six times you offended you. you then the person offended you four times. So you don't give the person four teeth. But then the six teeth removed cannot fit in your mouth. So what's the point? Because you just see everybody walking around. <laughs> and you get frustrated because you feel like the person that you offended the person that offended you should not leave the point where they did something to you somebody broke your heart they are married you are angry 
This is nine years later. Nine years later, 13 years later, you see the wedding card, you get angry. You burn the card, you are calling the person's name. Tayo. Tayo. If you, if you are tired here or tired broke your heart, I'm sorry. Tayo, so you have mind to go and marry. Oh my, no go better for you. And then you now watch the, the, the live stream of the wedding reception. You are, and you are even dancing. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah. Some of you are too young to know what I'm talking about. Don't pretend. Don't lie. You won't have mind to marry a woman. A female woman human being. So in your mind, you are worthy of love. I know what I'm saying. There's people that don't believe at all that your life should progress beyond the place you last fell. Then, they have, like I said, the frustration doesn't become what they did wrong. The fact, that, ah, how come what they did to me wrong didn't stop them there? And then I taught you in that teaching that when somebody messed you up, was it sin? What happened to it? Ouch. So you can only hold on to unforgiveness if what the person did to you doesn't fall within the remit of sin. But if it falls within the remit of sin, Jesus paid for it. So you cannot withhold forgiveness. Forgiveness is an emotion of God shown in Christ Jesus. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. We imitate the forgiveness of Jesus. You see, that's why I, I like to take time and teach. I can't remember if it was in that teaching or if it was in another one where I threw up a very provocative question about, it's Matthew 6 actually, where I said about Jesus saying, or yeah, saying, if you do not forgive your brother, your heavenly father will not forgive you. Because if that scripture reads the way that it is quoted, God is the most unforgiving person in the history of eternity. And I cannot be serving him. If God's forgiveness of a person is hinged on that person's forgiveness of another person. We are all in trouble. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It means this God, by whatever name you call him, is the most vindictive person to ever exist in the history of the world. Yes. And these are some of the things that when you meet diehard Bible scholars, you see, not, not all Bible scholars are believers. Not all Bible scholars are believers. There are people that know Bible and they're not believers. When you meet them, these are the kind of questions they ask you. What kind of God is this? Who says, if you don't forgive, your heavenly father will not forgive. Then you now go back and start to do your homework. Because the answer to scripture is in scripture. Even when a writer or an interpreter got it wrong. You need to look at the thought in other places of scripture to establish it as doctrine. Do you understand? It's like when he says in Matthew, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then we make that a doctrine. There's no other place in scripture where it appears. No other place. And that cannot be doctrine if it's the only place it appears. And every other time Jesus sent them out, he sent them out in his name. Every time Jesus tells them to pray, he tells them to pray in his name. Why did Jesus did not ever tell them anywhere else to pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost? Why did the apostles ask them, in whose name were you baptized? He said, you're not being baptized into the name of Jesus. Why didn't the apostles say, why aren't you baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost? 
So we cannot make doctrine out of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost because somebody added it there. And then when you read the original manuscript, you realize that that verse is a disputed verse that is missing in the original manuscript. Somebody added it. So you must investigate the scriptures in the light of Christ. Not swallow the Bible as a book, but investigate the contents of the book in the light of the message of the book. Do you understand? This book is overrated. It's become a talisman. But this book contains the scriptures. The scriptures contain a message. The message is about a person. Scriptures. Does that make sense? And then you begin to see that the so-called or apparent disparities or lack of congruence, lack of agreement are all answered in the same scriptures. Then the error is put down to somebody who wrote or somebody who interpreted, not somebody who said. Because the scripture is infallible. Scripture is inerrant. So it becomes a function of who wrote, who heard, who wrote, or who translated, or who interpreted. It's never a function of who said. God never spoke wrongly. There are men who heard wrongly what God spoke rightly. Are you following me now? There were people who didn't understand rightly what they heard rightly about what God said rightly. James was one of such people. James struggled with new creation realities, understanding. Struggled to the point where he gathered the church in Jerusalem and was still choosing the laws that New Testament Gentiles should still keep inside grace. So when you study the book of James, you study the book of James against what part of what he said was consistent with the message of the cross. Because James wrote in a very trying time, the bridge between the old and the new. He struggled with Peter struggled with it. Peter struggled. The early church struggled with it. Should we do this? Should we not do this? They kept going to the temple. Kept worshipping the temple. God had to remove the temple. Physically. And then we now Africans have now imbibed the system of the temple in the absence of the standing temple. You are doing temple worship concerning a temple that no longer exists. Forming Levite. From where lights in Israel now do not know who is a Levite. There's no kibbutz in Israel now that can get up and say confidently we are the direct offspring of Levi. Why haven't they built back their temple? You want to keep the law. Mm. So we look at scripture and then how do you interpret that message? Because that's very crucial. If you don't forgive, your heavenly father will not forgive you. If you forgive, your heavenly father will forgive you. Then we don't need the heavenly father. We don't need his son. Because we are well able to look after ourselves. If I can forgive for God to forgive me, why do I need God's forgiveness? Because that's, that's purely performance based. So he's a forgiving God. The first time he introduced himself by himself... In Exodus 34, he said, forgiving sin, forgiving iniquity, forgiving. So if he says I'm merciful, I forgive sin, I forgive transgression, I forgive iniquity. And at this time, there was no blood of Jesus shed. Are you here now? There was no blood of Jesus shed. And he said, I, 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 I keep mercy for thousands. I forgive. You, you want to call it iniquity? I forgive that too. Transgression? I forgive that too. Sin? I forgive that too. So if somebody now comes and says that, that Jesus said that God does not forgive until he forgives, uh, somebody had wrong. Somebody wrote wrong. 
let's investigate what was originally written. It's like Romans 8 that says, for we know that all things work for the good of them. That's not what he says. For we know that in all things, God works. That's the original translation. Things cannot work for the good. Who's, no, it's God using all things to work for the good. It's his work. He, he's the one that what works in you. Who is working? Who worked? God. Not things. God. In all things, God is working for the good of them that love him. Him. There's no other corroboration in scripture for things working for your good. But scripture is replete with the workings of God. So we stay there. Are you guys hearing me? All things don't work. It's God in all things working. Then he starts to list things. Height, death, life, principalities, powers, peril, darkness, sword. Can't separate us. Why can't he separate us? Because in all these things, God is working. Context. Romans 8. In all these things, God is working. Because he's working, nothing can separate us from his love. And then you look at the verse even more critically. To them that love him. To them that love him. Or to them that are beloved of him. As the preceding verses begin to explain. And focus that this is what we're talking about here. God in Christ Jesus. Not your love for him. That's why a lot of you avoid having Bible conversations. Because you're afraid. They ask you one question that will retire your your entire knowledge. (laughs) Or you take your time and open your heart and learn now. A privilege your parents didn't have. Because by the time your parents were your age, religion had taken over deeply. So if light takes over at your age, oh, how glorious is the future? How glorious. So count yourself privileged to sit and be stretched in the teaching of the word of his grace. That's how you come into mastery of spiritual things. So now let's look at what scripture begins to say in other replete examples about forgiveness. I've just shown you Exodus 34. Abounding in mercy, forgiving. Make sense? Now, if David in the law, over and over and over, David was notorious. <laughs> Very notorious, brother. David is not the kind of person that the prayer of Jesus, you'd have thought the prayer of Jesus would cover when Jesus says, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. <laughs> David knew what he was doing. David plotted the graph on how to break the law. He didn't break the law by mistake. David knew that the law said a woman in her period is unclean for seven days. One, he also knows that he should not sleep with another man's wife. Then there was a time where kings are supposed to go to war. At the time when kings go to war, David stays back, number one. He's not praying for the army. He's lounging in the penthouse. Because it was from the penthouse that he now looked and beheld a damsel. He didn't remove his eyes. See, number two. He sent to find out who is that damsel. They say it's somebody's wife, number three. He didn't still cancel his plotting. He said, bring her to me. They brought her to him. He was about to do the do. And she said, no, I'm in my period. He said, oh, okay, go. Finish period and come back. You have known that it's somebody's wife. You have known you're not supposed to be drinking juice now. You're supposed to be in the war front. She's now in her period. You say, go and finish and come back. They had koinonia. She then came back and said, O king, live forever. I'm pregnant. 
David quickly calculated again. Okay, this thing cannot pass three weeks, four weeks. She full gestation period is like 38 weeks, 33 weeks, 32 weeks, plus or minus a few weeks. Send for her husband from the war front. Bring him to the palace, get him drunk. Then take him home to his wife. If he sleeps with his wife at least once, we can say, okay, at least between this three to four week period, if you count it, you will see that the husband slept with her. So that responsibility cannot be mine. Uriah came, got drunk, in his drunk state, Uriah said, I cannot sleep with my wife when the armies of the Lord are in the battlefield. So he slept at the gate of the king's palace. David was like, ah! His plan didn't work. He called the most dangerous human being that ever served him, Joab. Joab and his brother Abishai were major undertakers of David. Joab was commander of his army. Joab, Abish, Abishai and Abner. And he calls Joab and he writes a death sentence. And he says, when Uriah gets back to you, when the fighting is hottest, let the whole army withdraw from one man and let the archers take the one man down. He seals the letter of the death sentence and gives it to the man himself to go and deliver it to the commander in the army front. They don't tell Joab anything twice. I actually have, I love Joab. I wish for a Joab in my ministry. David said, I am thirsty, the old men, to bring drinking water for David. Three men, 200 men died just for them to bring drinking water to David. David poured it out before the Lord. He said, I cannot drink this water bought with blood. What kind of boys are these? Just water to drink. So as Joab heard it once, ay, ay, ay. Pull the whole army back. Imagine fighting. Kah, kah, kah. And then you turn and realize the whole army has retreated. That means there was a signal that everybody else had that Uriah didn't know. Boom! Archers take him down. Quickly, David now carries the woman and makes her his wife. One of his wives. She gives birth. Child is sick. David goes to God. He's crying. Nathan comes and gives him a word. The child dies. As soon as the child dies, David knew that God killed his child. He got up, had a bath, wear clean, rub cream, wear, wear makeup. And guess what he did as soon as he finished doing that? Went and slept with her again. She got pregnant. Do you understand? One touch, one touch, soft touch. <laughs> Boom! She gets pregnant. Who did she conceive? Jesus. Straight up. Solomon starts to go down to Boaz, to Jesse, to Obed, to David, right down to Mary, to Jesus, to Joseph. So right there you see light coming from chaos. Oh, I, my mother has three children from different fathers. Jesus. Rahab. First person in Jericho to see redemption. The whole world of Jericho came down. Rehab's house was on the wall. The blood spoke. He passed over her. And an outcast got a place in Israel. God told Moses, make sure as you are going in now, carry Rehab. Because she has entered the commonwealth of redemption. The blood spoke for her. Why David? 
smart guy. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Forget not his benefits. Who forgives? A law in which people were having sins covered. David totally disregards the law. Acts as though the law doesn't exist. I say he forgives my sins. Gets up and says, as far as the east is from the west, so, past tense, has thou removed my transgression from me. David. Gets up as if it's not enough. In his worship and his music and celebrates, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute in... David saw something. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. So Paul comes now and starts to explain our redemption realities in Christ from David. David understood the forgiveness of God. David understood the forgiveness of sin. David already saw God inside the law as a God that cannot be vindictive. Don't number Israel. Don't number Israel. The stubborn boy got up and still did census. Let me know how many people I'm in charge of. You're not in charge of. He still numbered Israel. God got upset. Came and said, David, there are three things that are going to happen here. Choose one. Seven years under the Philistines or so. Three years or seven years famine. Or fall into the hand of the Lord. David calculated the Philistines. I've been fighting them for a long time. Famine. I'm not Joseph. Or I don't know how to do this thing. And fall into the hands of the Lord. David said, I choose the hand of the Lord because he's slow to anger and abounding in love. Famine won't show me mercy. Philistines won't show me mercy. God is angry, yes, but he doesn't last. And he's like, you say, God, you, I choose you. You know, go vex. And God was like, ah. So when David is called a man after God's own heart, you understand. He saw the reality of the nature of God. So we cannot now in the New Testament even so much as try to paint God as unforgiving. You see where I'm going with this? No, no, you can't. There's no precedent. So when any text appears to present God as unforgiving, we must investigate the text and rightly divide it in the light of what is consistent with God's word. And there's so much that shows that he is not unforgiving he's a forgiving God even in the New Testament he says not willing I think it's in First or Second Peter that he says that the, the patience of God the long suffering of God is so that people can come to saving grace he's not trying to kill anybody God who will have all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth that's not the nature of our father so see Matthew 5. Let's look at it. 42, 43. Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Give to him to who asks you. And from him who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away. You have heard. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said. You shall love your neighbor. And hate your enemy. Who said that? The law. Yes, sir. But indicating a stark departure from. 
But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons or you may behave as sons. For he makes his S-U-N, son, rise on the evil and on the good. That's why the person that offended you can progress. He makes his son to shine on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Why is he not picking and choosing according to those that love and hate him? 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And next verse. If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Stay here and go to the TPT. How are you any different from others if you limit your kindness only to your friends? Don't even the ungodly do that. So when we now come to Matthew 6, and you see Matthew 6, 14, or thereabout, and says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Which, which God are we to, to follow? The God in Matthew 5? Or the God in Matthew 6? Which one is the, the real God? TPT. And when you pray, make sure you forgive the faults of others so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you withhold forgiveness from others, your father withhold forgiveness from you. I love how quiet the room is. Bible study is not for lazy people. Ephesians 4.32. 4.32 of Ephesians. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Even as God in Christ forgave you. You have been forgiven, so you forgive. If you do not forgive others, you are not showing the forgiveness God has given to you. That's the rendition of Matthew 6. If you forgive others, you are putting on display the forgiveness God has given you. Not you are qualifying to receive forgiveness God will give you. It was one of the places where English translators got it grossly mistaken. In their translation from Greek to Latin, Latin to English. If you don't forgive your brother, you are not showing the forgiveness that God in Christ has given to you. Now Jesus is speaking to them in Matthew 6 as somebody who is going to the cross to forgive their sins. And therefore reckons that their sins have been forgiven because he comes to express the nature of God whose nature is the forgiveness of sin. It's forgiving sin. Had Jesus died? But had Jesus died? So when Jesus is speaking, just like he says, the son of man has power to forgive sins. Where did he get that power from? From what has been done in eternity? He had not died yet when he said, your sins are forgiven. Chai. And they go, who is he? Who is he that has the power to forgive sins? He says, the son of man has power to forgive sin. Where did power come from? From the eternity of the same person who was the word at the beginning. So I'm just going to grind it out in the, in the physical. But just, if I say your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. In the same way that Abraham saw his day and was glad. So if you forgive others, 
you are showcasing that your heavenly father has forgiven you. If you do not forgive, you are not displaying that your heavenly father has forgiven you. When you go back, research into the scriptures, you find where it is rightly translated. I won't tell you today. You see it, it's there, it's clear. Find the old manuscripts where they said the correct thing. Somebody will say, how do you know these things to study? Because you must understand the complete train of thought on any doctrine from the scripture. Does that make sense? It's not enough to know one thing about something. You must establish the complete train of thought. What is the entirety of scriptures congruously saying about this matter? Does that make sense? What is the entirety of scripture saying about this thing? Then you can make up your mind. But you cannot read one verse and draw doctrine from there. Does that make sense? So you look at that and then if, if this and this and this and this and this says that and that doesn't say this, then what is this saying? Or was this what was said? Was this how it was said? Then you start to investigate. Because God is a forgiving God or else he will be bipolar. And we have a problem with a God who says he cannot change but changes. Talk to me, guys. Don't you think so? And the Lord, I do not change. That's why the sons of men are not consumed. But how come your own forgiveness too is contingent on our forgiveness? But I thought you sent Jesus to die while we were yet sinners. So there is overwhelming evidence against that theological stance that God forgives based on your forgiveness. But God commended his love towards us in this manner, Romans 5, 8, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for people that had learned how to forgive one another. Or else it would have been that because the sons of men have proven that they are able to forgive one another, God therefore then commends his love towards us and then dies to forgive us because we have shown we can forgive one another. So be careful how you hold this thing. It's not how you hold it. It's how you divide it. He's a forgiving God. And we can see clearly in scripture that that's his nature. The nature of Christ is forgiveness. A woman is caught in the very act of adultery. I will keep asking. If a woman is caught in the very act of adultery, there was a man. So you know that misogyny didn't start today. Female domination didn't start today. They told the man, escape, escape, escape. Leave the woman. I'm very sure, me, I'm very sure the man was among the people that were shouting, yes, take out a rabbi. <laughs> How can a woman be caught in the very act of adultery with, with who? With the spirit. Jesus says, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. Picture the stones dropping. And please, when you picture stone, don't picture stone. It's actually rocks. Picture them dropping. One after the other, from the least to the great. No stone was left in anybody's hand. Jesus says to the woman, where are your accusers? Because guess what that accusatory spirit is? Diabolon. Accuser. So where is your accusers? Nobody accuses you. Nobody condemns you. Well, neither do I condemn you. And off she went. That's the pattern. That's the pattern. And if we are sons of God, we are sons of God according to the pattern. Yes, Say, I'm a son of God according to the pattern. You see, being a son of God is not freestyle. Yes, sir. You can't do it anyhow you like. Yes, sir. There's a pattern. See Jesus on the cross in Luke 23. Luke 23, 
Go from 31. So they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry, 32. There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand, the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Now, if Jesus is saying this, and in Matthew 6, he said, God will not forgive you if you don't forgive. You understand how to interpret scripture now? It says, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. How much more to ask for forgiveness? But it says, they don't know what they are doing. Now, if you read the narrative in Matthew and Mark, and even in Luke, there's no way it comes across like those guys didn't know what they were doing. I mean, even if you didn't know what you were doing, by the time they bring out Barabbas, eh? by the time they bring out Barabbas and put in front of you, and this is somebody who just raised a woman's only son to life, who brought Lazarus to life, who brought Talith to life, who, who healed the issue of blood and healed all them blind men and fed all them thousands of people. Jesus was a known figure. He was not some obscure preacher. He was a well-known figure. By the time they bring out Barabbas, who was the most vile of people, saints will just return to you. To know that no, 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 no. Pitched against Barabbas. No, Jesus is a saint. No, 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 no. I mean, it's not like we're a fan of Jesus, but we'd rather have Jesus than have Barabbas released back into the world. To Pilate's shock. That's why Pilate chose Barabbas. He chose the vilest person that will make them realize you're making a mistake. To Pilate's shock, they said, give us Barabbas. Pilate then asked, so what do you want me to do with Jesus? And as they had been programmed, they shouted, crucify him. Shouted all the more, crucify him. They didn't just say kill him. They chose how he should be killed. And the funny thing is crucifixion was not a Jewish way of killing anybody. It wasn't. But Jesus cries out and says, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Why didn't he say forgive them because they have learned to forgive one another? Or, Father, do not forgive them for they know what they do. So what happened in Jesus' forgiveness or his petitioning of the Father's forgiveness was he took his stand. He decided to see man as ignorant of their wrongdoing to facilitate forgiveness. Because if he saw man as knowing what they were doing, that can only facilitate judgment. Do you guys understand? If he saw you as being calculated in your sin, it's judgmental. But because he had to play his forgiveness emotion, he summed up the entirety of the vials, of the vices of the world in his time against him and says they don't know what they're doing. In other words, do not reckon any of this to their charge. That's what I came to take away. So forgive them. That's our pattern. We come into the apostles in Acts chapter 3. Let me show you Acts chapter 7 first of all. Because I need to define that word. They do not know what they do. Acts 7. I need, this is Stephen's encounter now. In verse 54. And give me the TPT. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed their teeth 
violent rage filling their souls, they gnashed their teeth at him. Switch the message. Stay in 54. At that point, they went wild. A rioting mob of cat calls and whistles and invective. 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, hardly noticed. He only had eyes for God. Whom he saw in all his glory with Jesus standing at his side. Guys were beating the life literally out of him. Gnawing and gnashing at him with their teeth. Going crazy. Literally you could see the skin being peeled off Stephen's body. Of course with Saul standing guard. Keeping the clothes that they had taken off in order to batter Stephen. And all Stephen saw was God. And Jesus at his side. And he says in 56. He says, oh, I see heaven wide open. And the son of man standing at God's side. Yelling and hissing. The mob drowned him out. Now in full stampede. They dragged him out of town. And pelted him with rocks. The ringleaders took off their coats. And asked a young man named Saul. To watch them. Master Jesus, take my life. Then he knelt down, praying loud enough for everyone to hear. Master, don't blame them for this sin. Do not charge this sin against them. Why? He saw the pattern. The word, they do not, the, the word for they do not know in Matthew, in Luke. They do not forgive them for they do not know. The word there is oida in the Greek. O-I-D-A. And it means to not have realization of. When it says they do not know what they are doing. If it was any of the knowledge um, family of words, there would have been a gnosis or agnosis attached to it. Because the root word for knowledge is gnosis. In one form or the other, or the gnosko, which is another of the family of the knowledge words in the Greek. None of this are used for that word. In fact, that's the only time in the Bible that that word applies or is mentioned. The word oida. For they do not know. One word. O-I-D-A. O-I-D-A. And it means for they are not reckoning what they are doing. So they knew. But Jesus took a stance that said they are not processed. They don't realize what they are doing. Are you here now? They don't realize what they are doing. They don't reckon what they are doing. Why did Jesus take such a stance to enable him to forgive? Because in the midst of the evil they were doing was good that they did not realize. Are you here? In their absence of perception was the fulfillment of prophecy. So you cannot be wanting to condemn a people that are facilitating the fulfillment of why you came. Even though what they are doing is wrong. So forgive them for they do not realize the import of what they are doing. Therefore, what sponsors forgiveness add is working good. Did you hear what I said? Let's back up to Joseph. Who makes it clear. You meant it for evil. Clear cut. In other words, they did not sell Joseph to become prime minister. (laughs) Talk to me now. You know, let us sell our brother... Because somehow my spirit have told me that as we sell him, he'll become an important man in society. No! They sold him to get rid of his dream, get rid of his preference in the family, get rid of his star. Because they made clear 
when they sold him off. They made clear, let us see what will become of his dream. So it was his dream they were after. They were not sponsoring his vision. They were not sponsoring his vision. They wanted to kill his dream. So he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day. So what aids forgiveness? Your understanding that there's an oida factor. There's a factor that this person is deliberately hurting me, but inside what they are doing to hurt me is a greater good God is working. So you cease to be my punisher, my tormentor, and you actually in my mind become a prophecy facilitator. And, and because you are pushing me into destiny, I, 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 I forgive you. Don't hold it against them. They have no reckoning of what they are doing. In other words, they are doing something, but they don't know what, what they are doing is actually doing. And there's somebody that will not be here but for your misfortune. God, the cutoff mark and did not get the admission. You will not be here. But for the job and those permutations you thought you had on lock that the Lord flipped because you had plans to redeem and restore me. You're behind and before me. You will not be here. So you, st- you, you only struggle with unforgiveness when you feel victimized by what happened to you. All you're saying is how much they took from you. How much they took from you. How much they offended you. How they blocked you. How they short-circuited your life. How you could have graduated by now. How you could have married by now. How you could have had 19 children by now. How you could have been in Canada by now. How you could have, how you could have, how you could have, how you could have, and you forget that in all things, God works. In other words, there's nothing happening to you in which God is not working. If God is not working for your good, it cannot be happening to you. It cannot be happening to you. It cannot be happening to you if God is not working in it. Not as sons of God. It cannot be happening to me. And it settles a lot in your work with God. Well, listen to that message in all things God. Propose in your pain. Please listen to it. God is working in it for your good. Stop measuring what is happening. Start investigating what he is working. It's not for you to regulate what is happening. The happening has to be because of a working. God is not random. I wrote him on Facebook the other day. He said he's not sloppy in his permutations. Let's just get up. Okay, this is like this. Okay, let's go like this. Oh, like this. No, 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 no. He's deliberate. Deliberate. He's not, he's not reactive. He's proactive. He, I like to say he's theoactive. He's God and he's doing. He's God and he's being. He's God and he's in control. So there's a happening because there is a walking. There's a walking. She left you. There's a walking. They fired you. There's a walking. A contract almost closed and it fell through. There is a walking. MOU was on the table and the thing didn't work. There's a walking. There is a walking. So once you understand that, you start to walk around distributing rampant forgiveness. And someday somebody will see you at the lounge of the airport. 
and look at you and remember you were the one that they did something you don't remember. You don't remember. And you'll come and say, I'm sorry. I, and you'll be like, I, I, I honestly can't recall. You might remember, but you can't recall. The details become so faded in your memory. If we ask you, so you were raped two years ago, six, what happened? And you can remember every single detail. You have not grown past it yet. You have not let go. You haven't. You have not seen the walking. You are still looking at the happening. But as you begin to see the working, the happening starts to fade. You just know somewhere in the deadness and numbness of your subconscious that one time something happened. I, I have no recollection. Oida. And you begin to be grateful that you went through the journey you went through. So Jesus looks at them and he laughs and he's like, he only this guy is new. Imagine them shouting in Matthew when the pilot was telling them, you see, I've washed my hands clean from the blood of this man. Here the chief priests and the scribes and the Israelites, they were screaming, his blood be on our heads and the heads of our children. And God was like, amen. That's what I'm trying to do. Show them. Go back to verse 24. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude and said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. What did God need? The blood of a just person. A blameless lamb that takes away the sin. Blameless. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So what was required here? The blood of of a just person and that was the exact same thing that a pious Pontius Pilate was not willing to shed now we have a problem because now Pilate you are too righteous for the righteousness that God wants to walk there's a problem now Pilate you are too nice to kill the lamb and we need this blame I act right now it's not working can somebody kill this lamb please I'm innocent of his blood. <laughs> like, oh. He now said, you, see to it. Me, I don't want to kill him. You kill him. And they went, yes, we will. All the people answered and said, his blood. His blood be on us. <laughs> what was happening when they said this? Oida. No reckoning, no realization that they have just given the blood free flow for eternity. <laughs> free flow. They say his blood will be. Why am I here? Because his blood is on me. And then God was like, That is it. Yes, we need somebody to kill this thing and give us this blood. His blood be on us and on our children. So when Jesus was saying forgive them, they meant evil, but it was sponsoring prophecy. It was. That's why I've told you over and over, be careful what you're wishing for. Oh, I see myself teaching a lot of young girls and people who have been in broken homes and who have had a failed marriage, people who have been sexually abused. You have just defined the process you will need to go through. Is it helping anybody? And then you start to shout, why did this happen to me? Why did he do that to me? You said you want to touch people. How can you have compassion and empathy about what you have not experienced? 
that you can't forgive the person that raped you. What's wrong with you? Is rape right? No. No, no, no. Never, ever, ever. Only wimps rape people. Do you hear what I said? Only wimps, cowards, low lives that rape. It's never right. But in the midst of it, an oida moment was happening. Somebody did something he thought he took. He only set you up for what he is giving. Well, I, want to, I want to be a blessing to people. People who are struggling with ministry, you will struggle first. You will struggle first, then you will enter compassion. <laughs> and so when you are going through that, then you can now have the mindset, the paradigm that Joseph had. Prison, he blows on. He just saw that every single thing was a set. Jesus saw the same thing. These guys, somebody has to kill me. Don't be so nice. Right now, I need bad guys in my ministry. Who knows what I'm talking about? I need bad guys in my ministry. Somebody has to kill me. And Mr. Pilot, you are too nice right now. So forgive them. For they have no reckoning of what they are doing. That's the attitude of forgiveness. Just treat the person as not having the ability to reckon what they are doing. Not having the ability to process that they hurt you. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people like that in church. They say something. You need to write them a letter to let them know that they hurt you. They are so blank. You have, you'll be frustrated for a while until you realize that this person is not waking up and saying, today, Thursday, I am going to hurt wealth. Because what, most times what makes you hurt is that you think the person that hurt you planned it. Is this helping anybody practically? You can't. Uh, this person mean me for mind. But honestly, there are human beings that even love God and are loved of God who are yet unregenerate that they cannot even tell when they've said something offensive. They can even think it's a joke. And even when you tell them that it was, they were offended, they were like, what is offensive about this? Because this, 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 the annoying thing about humor, especially around this part of the world, is where somebody feels like because it's funny to me, it must be funny to you. And then they get offended when you don't get their humor. Can you just not be humorous at all? There are people that would rather were not humorous. Just be yourself. So when you say A, I can take A for A. And then I understand you. Let's know how we are going. But don't say I will, can, somebody cannot play with you again. I, I left kindergarten. I didn't come to church to find playmates. So sometimes people have no clue that they've said something offensive. And then you too, you now swell up like a balloon pumped with nitrogen. You are upset. If we used a pin around you, you explode. Because you have stomached it. And you are full of offense. And you walk around thinking, this person, the devil particularly sent you to trouble me. Until you start to understand that our elder brother taught us how to process offense. By looking at what the offense is working by looking at what the offense is working. A lot of you here that have worked with me closely, you come to me and you're offended at somebody that did something stupid. It's you I will blast. By the time I finish with you, you'll be wondering, wait, who did wrong? Because offense comes to grow you. 
you are a leader, you are a son of God, you come to me and what the only thing that is on your face and your lips is how the thing is paining you. You need to grow. That's what happened to you. So you will expect me to take sides with you and tell the other person, why did he do this thing? That, 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 that is you. I will so enter you. Ask them, the guys that call themselves pastors. I don't. You can walk away all swollen and you hate me for a few hours. And it's fine. By the time the Holy Spirit catch you and sober you down, you realize I'm the best thing since sliced bread in your life. Because I will sit you down and ask you why you are so foolish to be offended at this level. And you quickly forget the person's name that offended you. And you start to repent of your own mediocrity in the things of the Spirit. Because you take your eyes off the walking and you start to look at the happening. Offense will come. I promise you, a pastor will offend you. Your father will offend you. Stuff will happen to you. But you must look beyond the happening and begin to consider the walking. What is this growing in me? And it makes it easy for you to forgive. And then you start to understand interpersonal relationships, especially in church, in the light of Christ. One of you ran around for three and a half years when he said, did I not choose 12 of you? And one of you is a devil. Not one of you is demon possessed. One of you is Satan. And for three and a half years, Judas stealing money. Hey, if he's omniscient, he knew. No matter how Judas does the books, Jesus knew and still kept him there. Because he needed to grow in his ministry until he can be have enough balls to serve Jesus. Yes. Judas could not have just gotten up one time and just sold Jesus. No, 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 no. So Jesus chose him on time. Start stealing. Start using money. Are you getting what I'm saying? So the offense of Judas had nothing on Jesus because the happening was working. So be stealing. Steal small. Alabaster box, the guy was fuming. This thing could have been sold to the poor. Judas would never, ah, Judas would never have given that money to the poor. Judas is carried nah. Judas would have made himself the poor. Do you understand what I'm saying? Judas would have made himself the poor to collect the money. The whole alabaster box that ended up in his account in FCMB. <laughs> Judas, no. And God made sure money kept coming into the ministry of Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 8. Herod's chief of staff. Imagine, you know, he, people that, that money have them. Do you understand? Do you understand? There's people that have money. There's people that, you know, kind that they belong to money. Following Jesus steady and just blessing him. Let them see. Verse 3. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, who managed King Herod's household. Chusa was his chief of staff. Many other women. Women who supported Jesus' ministry from the spiritual realm. From their own personal finances. Also traveled with him. Steady. So Jesus did not need ATM. They were just with him. Steady. Jesus just preached. He did seek. Money, we are here. Because if there was no money flowing in the ministry of Jesus, eh, Judas would have resigned. 
No time for dulling. No time. No time. No time. There has to be money for you to steal it. You don't steal money by faith. Are you here? You steal money in the flesh. In the physical. There has to be money for you to steal it. So guess what? It is highly plausible that most of the money coming into the ministry of Jesus was not even required by Jesus. Was just giving Judas an opportunity to perfect his craft. Let there be money for Judas to steal. Let Judas be practicing his assignment. So that when it's time, he will not think twice. 30 pieces of silver sold. Savior of the world, I cannot. Sold. Turn water to wine. I say, carry him. We saw him walk on water. 30 pieces of silver. Carry him. I will kiss him for you. You, you, you don't know how much money that was. The pay then in Jesus' time was one denarii. One. It was almost a thousand denarii to one silver coin. So when Philip says, ah, 200 denarii cannot feed these people. It's like them saying, ah, if we have 50 million, we still can't feed 20,000 people. Oh. So don't, when you say 30 pieces of silver, no, that was a fortune. Not, not, not 30 denarii. They worked for a denarii, the parable. One denarii. 200 denarii cannot fit. So even if we had 200 denarii, he wasn't saying even if you had 200 naira. He if, as we are 20,000, even if you have 50 million, you can't feed everybody here. So imagine how many denarii it took to make one silver coin. Imagine 30 silver. Sell him. So Judas had built his pedigree to the point where he could now do forex trading with Jesus. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Said Jesus. Jesus, before Judas will go and do what he has been preparing himself to do, Jesus gives him bread and wine. Eternal life. Because Jesus told them there, who eats this bread and drinks this wine will not perish. So Judas, eat. Jesus took the bread and gave Judas, eat. Have you eaten now? You have drunk now? Oh yeah, what you will do, go and do it now. You are ready for it. So, You'll be amazed how many believers are beefing a Judas that Jesus is not beefing. How many be, yes, Judas, the bad guy, the bad guy, the bad guy. Understand forgiveness, Oida. He had no reckoning, but it had been written. What price did Judas pay for his assignment? Physical death. Physical. Physical death. Jesus prayed and said, the ones you have given me, none has been lost except the son. Referring to the fact that nobody died though. Because when they came to arrest him, man of God, in the garden, he said to them, who do you seek? They said, Jesus. They fell down. He waited for them to get up. He said, hey, who do you say you seek? They said, Jesus. He said, I'm he. They fell down again. They got up. He said, who do you say you seek? He said, it's okay, it's me. I'm, I'm telling you, you're falling. It's me you came for. Okay, allow these guys to go because it's me you came for. And then look right there that it was written that it might be fulfilled what was written that the ones you gave me none was lost. That scenario was not referring to eternal life. So none was lost in that context. It was not saying none was lost forever. It was saying that in the arresting of Jesus, no other person's blood was shed. 
Because we didn't require anybody's blood along with Jesus. None was lost. So Judas's foolishness was in his remorse without light. That's all. So what, what price did he pay? Physical death that was absolutely unnecessary. Judas could have come straight back like Peter. And then Christians will argue blindly and stupidly that Peter repented. Show me what he cried. That's remorse. That's contrition. That's not repentance. Repentance would have, him, would have been him running into Caiaphas's palace and saying, I lied, I lied, I lied when I said I didn't know him. I know him. I changed my mind. I know him. That's repentance. And he had the chance to do it. He didn't. He was standing afar off. Repent where? What restored Peter? Jesus said, I prayed for you. So guess what? Some of those times where Jesus was withdrawing himself to go on a mountain to pray. Who was he praying for? Peter. Because he didn't say, I am praying for you. He said, I prayed for you. That your faith will not fail. But when you are strengthened, strengthen your brethren. So what kept Peter? The same thing that could have kept Judas. He's not a man. Oh. And so if you are a son of God, you can't think like a normal human being. You can't be vindictive. Your heart is dark. If God did to you what you are doing to somebody, you will not be here. You won't be here. Your heart can't be dark. It needs to be washed. Allow it. Because he is a forgiving God. And if we are his sons, we are forgiving sons. You, your heart becomes large. You just send forgiveness in advance. And somebody hurts you, and once it starts to turn in your heart, starts to turn in your heart, is the Holy Spirit taking your eyes off the person and trying to show you, I'm using this thing to walk in you. You yourself, you are vindictive. And sometimes God plants people in your life for that assignment. To wind you until you confront the dirty in your mind. You know what I mean? Dirty, not dirt. The dirty. You know when you say dirt, it's dirty. Somebody will wind you over and over and over and over again. If you have not met such a people, wait. You will meet somebody who will offend you deliberately because they know you are like Christ. And they will take advantage of the fact that you cannot retaliate to take advantage of you. They will actually go as far as telling you, you have not forgiven me. You can't stay mad at me. Oh. You are a son of God. Wait. Wait, your wife will do it to you, your husband will do it to you, your friend will do it to you, somebody you are leading, somebody you are following will do it to you. That's when you understand that you either grow or you die. And then the person is chilling. They offend you, come and hug you. Hey, hello my love, how are you today? Your mind, you're like, it's God that will punish you. Who knows what I'm talking about? As you arrive, you're like, Lord, may I not have to hug this person? May I not have to see this person? And as you open the door, there's the person. Hello, my darling, your hair is fine, no? And you have a cancer in your heart. Because it will be there until you melt away the happening and focus on the walking. Is it helping anybody? It's an emotion. That's how Jesus processes. Do you understand? That's how he processes. That's how he thinks. Is anybody learning anything? Yes. Acts chapter 3. Need just a few verses around 15. Let's pick the thought from 13. Thank you. 
the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has done this. For he glorified his servant Jesus, the one you denied to Pilate's face, right? When he decided to release him. And you insisted, the one who is holy and righteous, and instead begged for a murderer to be released. 15. He's telling the, the Jews, you killed the prince of life. But God raised him from the dead. And we stand here as witnesses to that fact. Keep going. Faith in Jesus' name. You switch to New King James. I like this verse in New King James. And his name, through faith in his name. I've taught you guys this before. Has made this guy strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him. Not through you. Has Giving him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. See verse 17. Yet now, brethren. Here, Peter, come on. Peter says, I know you did it. Oida. And but you and I know that this thing was not done in ignorance. As did also your rulers. No, they sat down at night. They plotted how to kill Jesus. They started trying to kill Jesus from the first time Jesus started preaching. It was not, it was not, it was not random. See how dark these guys' minds were. Jesus raised Lazarus in a tomb from the dead, John 11. They plotted to kill Lazarus. Somebody you are seeing with your carol carol eyes. You know what I'm saying? That was dead, embalmed for days. Jesus raised him from the dead. You now want to kill a man that was brought. You have mind. Then in addition to wanting to kill the Lazarus that was resurrected, you also think you want to now kill the person that resurrected him. Jesus healed a blind man. They wanted to kill him. Jesus said he was older than Abraham. They wanted to kill him. It didn't happen randomly. But what is Peter's conclusion? They did it ignorantly. They are rulers. Caiaphas. Caiaphas? High priest? Chief priest? Ignorantly? But why did Peter take that stance? Because that is what sponsors forgiveness. Look at Paul in Romans 12. I'm almost done with this. We are imitating, right? You have seen God. You have seen Jesus. You have seen Stephen. You have seen Peter. Look at Paul in Romans 12, verse 17. Paul says to the churches, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Please switch to the TPT. The language will be easier for our folks to understand. Never hold a grudge or try to get even. But plan your life around the noblest way to benefit others. Play the verse again in the message. Don't hate back. Discover beauty in everyone. There's people that hurt you and don't even know why they hurt you. There's people that haven't said sorry to you because they can't bring themselves to deal with the fact that they hurt you. Not everybody is evil. Some people just don't know. Give people a soft landing. Don't close up because they hurt you. Especially in the household of faith. I've learned that in my life. I've learned to care for people I'm offended at. I will check upon them. I'll give to them. I'll make sure they're okay. And I'm not liking them. I do that. Ask people around me, are you okay? Have you eaten? You got home okay? You're safe? You're okay? I love you. And I'm mad at you. 
Because all that person needs is to go, I know and I'm sorry. They, sometimes they want to say I'm sorry. They don't just know how to come. But if you must pepper them who pepper you, you are not a son of God. Because what is our mantra? Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. That's why I've said over and over, if you ever truly love, you can never really hate. The two are mutually incompatible. It's not possible that you love someone. Somebody will hurt you. Your pain now becomes how much you love them inside your hurt. If you truly are a lover, what begins to frustrate you is how much in love you are with this person that is paining you. And you cannot do anything about the love. That's, that becomes your anger. <laughs> because you want to stop and switch it off, but you realize you don't have the button. And that's how his love towards us is. Ephesians 13, 19. That you will try and know the love that you cannot know. <laughs> Think about it. That you will know. Yeah, go on to verse 18. That you be written and grounded in love. Yeah. May be able to comprehend with the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. So when you are finished knowing the love of Christ, you have not known it. <laughs> you finish knowing it, you can't, you can't know it. See it in TPT. 19. So you see from 18. Then you'll be, you'll be empowered to discover what every holy one, go on, experiences. The great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all his dimensions. How, this is 19 now. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. God loves you unrepentantly. God loves you so much he cannot do anything about it. And that's how you love, sir. If you can't help it, you are not in love. How you know you are in love is you can't help it. Is anybody hearing me tonight? You can't help it. You can't control it. So high, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. So why do you can't get around it? That's his love. Romans 12, 17. Don't hit back. Go back to TBT. We're going all the way to 21. Never hold a grudge or try to get even, but plan your life around the noblest way to benefit others. Do your best to live as everybody's friend. 19. Beloved. And this is the verse I want to end. We, we, we dealt with this when we went through journey through Romans 12. But 1, 2, 3, and 4. Beloved, don't be obsessed with taking revenge. But leave that to God's righteous justice. This is another scripture that believers don't understand. But in what about the house we do? Except for plenty of you that have joined us after we did that teaching. Which you need to go and look for on Pod Bean. Journey through Romans 12, part 1, 2, 3, 4. Leave that to God's righteous justice. For the scriptures say, Vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. And... If your enemy is hungry, buy him lunch. Win him over with kindness. 
Your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience and God will reward you with favor. 21. Never let evil defeat you, but defeat evil with good. Go back to 19. There has to be a problem if we look at don't be obsessed with taking revenge, but leave that to God's righteous justice. For the scripture says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If he's bad and God is going to punish those that hurt you, he cannot be telling you in the next verse if your enemy is offending you by him lunch then God should be buying lunch to your enemy. And if God is buying lunch to your enemy, he cannot be saying his vengeance is his. He will venge for you. So we need to understand verse 19. New King James. Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That sounds like God will key deal with your enemy. Right? Then verse 20 then says, Therefore, eh, because God will kill your enemy, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Because God will do vengeance to your enemy, then we need to look at what the vengeance of God is in verse 19. And they realize God's vengeance is not against man, it's against the man's sin. Because somebody has done you wrong, God is going to deal with that wrong, not that person. What is troubling you? Not a person. But what the person did, I would deal with it. Not I would deal with him. <laughs> I will avenge that wrong. Not I will avenge that person. And how is he dealing with it? The intercession of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. The mind renewal of the saints. Because I've said to you in this house, God is not with sin against you. God is with you against sin. It's with you. So sin, the issue, he removed it. The remnant of the Hamasia, the sin act in your life, he will deal with it. It's part of your ongoing sanctification process. That's God's vengeance. The things he's telling you to put away by the help of his Holy Spirit is him judging the last elements of your unregenerate old man. That's his vengeance. It's not about to kill anybody because they offended you. Then he's saying, I will kill them for you. You just feed them. <laughs> how does that make sense just be watering him till I kill him <laughs> do you understand when I kill him I want him to be well fed and well watered <laughs> I don't like killing hungry people <laughs> that possibly couldn't be what the scripture is saying so then we now turn our eyes to what is the thing that God was mad at he's never been a person what was God mad at? Sin and death. And that he judged. So it has to be in the light of that that we interpret the scripture. So what is the pattern of forgiveness? Do not repay evil with evil. I promise you God will do you back. No, it's not our God that is to do back. That's not the God of the scriptures. That's not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not the pattern we've seen. So we walk in forgiveness. It's the emotion of the Father. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 1 Peter 3.9 1 Peter 3.9 See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. But always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. And make sure that no one pays back evil in place of evil. But always pursue doing what is beautiful to one another and 
to all the unbelievers. Ouch. So you see, even our fellowship in church is not based on performance. Know them as somebody who drives people up the wall. You have to see the good in them and not repay them and keep loving them. It works. If it didn't work, you will not be here as a son of God. Your your being here as a son of God is proof that his love chased you down and broke you and got you. So how come he worked in you and you won't let it work in another? 1 Peter 3.9 Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing what? That you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Hallelujah. Tipity. Never retaliate. Somebody say never. Never retaliate when someone treats you wrongly. No, insult those who insult you. But instead, respond by speaking a blessing over them. Because a blessing is what God promised to give you. Those of you that have driven with me will see how many times somebody did road rage and I blew them a kiss. And they get so red. They're offended. (laughs) They're offended because they want to cuss. How can you let somebody who is driving to where you don't know steal your day and take you away with them? Do you understand what I'm saying? You're walking. Somebody says, look at you, look at your head. And then they, they kidnap your entire day, your entire joy. That's why you needed them to do that to you so you can grow. How are you? I'm having a bad day. Why? Somebody spoke to me somehow. Really? Get ready. More people will speak to you. That's how. Because we have found out that's the weakness in your life you must grow into, strength in. Beyond the happening, look at the walking. Somebody that God is using sometimes does not even know God is using them in your case. Give them space. Give them a buffer zone. Give them some slack. We see it in Christ. It's why we are here. It's why we are saved. In whom you have redemption. Ephesians 1, Colossians 1. The forgiveness of sins. Through his blood. We have, not we will have. You will mess up tomorrow. You have forgiveness of sins. Until you stop messing up. Because you will stop. Ah. The blood promises you. It's not path. Grace promises you. You will stop. Sin shall not have reign over you. For you are no more under the law, but under grace. Grace affects you out of sin. You will stop. You will. You will. You will. Why? Because his forgiveness is constantly being expended over you. So you to give out forgiveness in blanket measures. Let's be a house walking in forgiveness. Let's be a church walking in forgiveness. People will fall. It's okay. You, you fail. He prays for you. Are you instructed tonight? We give God praise in here. Give him praise. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.